Hey everyone, this is Gomer. This is Luke. Luke is Winnie the Pooing it right now. A shirt and no pants. <laughs> That's a honeypot if I've ever heard it. <laughs> he ho he ho he 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 he. I don't know what the hell you're doing. What the hell are you doing? It's it's a song from. Winnie the Pooh. I have to watch thirty thousand times. So, oh, gotcha. It's when they're I pulling out, they're pulling out Pooh, and then he goes flying in the air, and he's he's, he's with the bees. He's with the bees. Oh, right, because because he's getting honey out of the trees. Yeah, Roger that. Okay, so we Gomer is using Roadcaster. Yes, all my settings are correct. <laughs> it asked me that. It has like five warning messages whenever every single time you do it, even when it's set up correctly. Anywho, so me and Luke were talking because Luke just had uh, an interesting experience, so I immediately called him and we started talking. And then he asked me how I was doing because he's so selfless. And uh, you got your so, back, baby yeah, girl. Yeah. So I've been working for that man is you now for officially three days. Working, working. Yes, <laughs> it was a very big air quotes. It's the the way they described it is I'm full time part time, which means I'm doing all these events, and the events are within themselves, you know, thirty forty hours a week events. But the events are on a weekend, you know, where I do a retreat or I do a conference or I do a a parish mission. So anywho, I'm just doing the external speaking stuff, but I do some stuff inside. And they asked me, what are you most excited about on Monday? And so I was just sharing this with Luke. And Luke's like, let's podcast right now. Because as we all know, private conversations don't make money. So can't monetize <laughs> private thoughts. Luke, goes, Luke said, you know, we should record. I'm, I'm at my apartment right now. And I said, yeah, we could. And he goes, or we could just, you know, have a conversation like real people. And I'm like, well, we can't make money off of that. <laughs> so here we are. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So you were talking a little bit like, okay, Jordan Peterson. Yeah. Let me um, set the stage here a bit about where I'm coming at it with Jordan Peterson. Then I want you to go into your, yeah. your, your stuff. So you said that how um, I can critique things that I don't understand and like. Very true. And, and I, f- I, I'll be honest. Some of my, some of the stuff with Jordan Peterson that I have is when someone like Greg Iwinski, who who we've had on the show a bunch, little uh, opinionated, but I also like Greg, and Greg also yeah, pro- provides too. some insights that I think are like very valuable. So when someone like him has issues with Jordan Peterson, I'm like, okay, tell me why. When someone like I'm not going to name his name because he asked us not to, but you know, insert annoying person from college here goes on rant on Twitter about why won't Jordan Peterson debate me? I'm like, oh, please come on, like. I want, I, I want to understand what's going on here. I don't want, you know, yeah. I, I feel like a lot of the, the, if for lack of a better term, the less critique of Jordan Peterson is the, from a Christian standpoint, a disregard for the Christian's attitude towards the poor. And then, which may or may not be valid. I forget what he, he quoted. He like retweeted the, the Pope and like said something. I was like, whoa, that's a little weird. And then, his m- being more of a humanist almost. Yeah. And then when you take a look at the non-Christian uh, critique of him or of the secular critique, it's that he's really just like offering weird self-help tips that ultimately end up with a uh, Andrew Tate or basically like toxic, toxic masculinity. Yeah. So it's a, I don't know if they're like totally disagree with. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. So, on top of all the trans stuff, which is all like oh, layered in there as well. So, okay, I wanted to because like, and that's where I, for me, with Jordan Peterson, I have a little bit of a like some of the stuff he says I like, some of the he does that he says he I 
do not like. And I understand why people have critiques of him. I also understand why people like what he says. And to me, he's a little bit of, of almost like a, a Roy Shark test where you bring certain things to it and you see what what you want to see, which could be yeah. a, a, a critique of him in, in and of itself. But I think it's like there's some good stuff there. I like, you know, have some thoughts, yeah. but I think it's OK to like take the good stuff. It's okay to take the good and to also acknowledge the bad. So I'm curious yeah. like, to hear where you're going with this. Yeah. I think this is actually a so, super important thing. Yeah. So let me just start off by saying, uh, <laughs> like, I really, really, really like Jordan Peterson because I know what he's, I feel like I know what he's doing and I know what he's about and I know what he's trying to accomplish. That doesn't mean I agree with every political thing and statement. And this to me is the sin of the age where you're either all or nothing about everyone all the time. And that is stupid. Okay, that's my number one thing. My number two thing is from the very beginning, the left in the media, which is redundant because it controls 98% of the media, um, hardcore has come against anyone who even remotely sounds like they're critiquing the main fe hardcore feminist account of masculine relationships, patriarchy, all that stuff. So if you want to summarize Jordan Peterson, in, you know, which is you know, impossible, the real way to yeah. summarize him is by saying he is a psycho a clinical psychologist who studies the great stories of human history, East and West, right? So he's just as much steeped in the Chinese, the Japanese, the Mesopotamian, the Egyptian, as he is the Judeo-Christian um, and the European. People ignore that all the time, but he quotes, you know, the Babylonian myths and Egyptian myths uh, uh, almost as much as he in his major work almost as much as he does the Christian stuff and Judeo-Christian stuff. So uh, he is a mythicist in a very real way. He's trying to derive human and especially psychological, you could say humanist truths from all the great stories. He's a hardcore believer in hardcore science. Um, he's been published. His articles have been cited, you know, tens, uh, we'll, we'll say thousands upon thousands of times. 2019, 2017, uh, Canada, tried to pass a law making it illegal not to use people's preferred pronouns, and he spoke against that. That's where he became, quote-unquote, the darling of the right or the darling of the alt-right. He is neither of those things, right? But that's the label that he gets. And the thing is, uh, the left, and I'm going to say this is the most belligerent way I can, the left follow, um, what's his name, the Nazi propagandist rule, which is if you repeat a lie often enough and loud enough, it eventually become the truth. And that's what they do repeatedly about people like Jordan Peterson. So, oh, you're the darling of the alt-right. Why is it that the alt-right call me a, a Jew lover? Why He's like, he goes on all these shows, and all they want to do is talk about the least important thing, right? Which is the same thing over and over again. Because that, that's how you know there's a meme, a mental virus going around about Jordan Peterson. Because whenever he goes on all these news shows, they all just ask him the same, like, five questions. What about the lobsters? Ah, and then they go off on, you're making men toxic. So... His vision of masculinity and, and, of, and of the world that we've created in the West right now is, number one, um, sovereign individualism, which means the, the authority and power and dignity that used to belong to the sovereign now belongs to the individual. And that could only come from Judeo-Christian background, which is everyone, man, male, and female, is made in the image and likeness of God. And he says that is the, the, the bedrock truth that underlies all of democracy. The moment you exclude someone on their humanity or from the pool of humanity, right? You're violating that bedrock truth of, of 
democracy, right? His other thing is, so you have sovereign individualism, you have an understanding of masculinity that uh, is not patriarchy. He doesn't, he, he hates the feminist trope of patriarchy. Oh, we all live in a patriarchal whatever. He says, yes, there are elements of the, the world was patriarchal. Women suffered at the hands of patriarchy. He doesn't deny any of that. He says it a trillion times. But his big thing is to call our modern Western world patriarchal is a complete joke. And what people do in response is, well, how come a woman makes 82 cents to every dollar that a man makes? How about this? How about that? And he'll go through all the data and you can dispute the data. Like, Women exempt themselves of the workforce for three to five years because of pregnancy, and that cuts a decade of earnings in half. You know, blah, blah, blah. Most women enter fields where they are not high pay, such as teachers. My buddy, our, our friend, was uh, the only male at a huge public school, the only male teacher, including Ooh. the gym teacher. Huh? Oh. Yeah. The odds were ever in his favor. Yeah. But, right, Please. so you have um, professions like doctors versus nursing. Now, a lot of those professions that are high earning, like especially the professions, right, like doctors and stuff, and lawyers, many women podcasters. are entering these, huh? Podcasters, podcasters. Many women are entering these fields now, and and they're making. And if they don't leave the workforce, they're making pretty much just as much as men. Um, but he also his big point is character or uh, personality. So he's a big believer in what we call the big five personality traits. And I don't know what the big five are off the top of my head. But you can Google it, find out. But the biggest thing that he comes to a lot is whether you are agreeable or disagreeable, right? So, like, I'm an agreeable person. I want you to like me, right? I'm not going to say things just to piss you off. But there are people who do not function that way and think to not to function that way is for you to be fake, right? And he's like, I'm not being fake. I'm being polite. No, you're lying to yourself. You're lying to other people, and you're a terrible person. So I have friends who have a high disagreeable, what he calls trait disagreeableness, where they're not here to be people pleasers. They care about the truth or they care about outcomes more than they do feelings. But that doesn't mean they don't love people, right? So you can have deeply caring and empathetic people who at the same time will tell you hard truths to your face without it hurting them or making them uncomfortable. I don't know, like whenever you get into like a conflicting situation, you get that little twang of uncomfortableness. There are people who don't experience that at all. That doesn't make them evil, right? And so, for instance, many men in the highest levels of power have this trait disagreeableness. I think of the movie or the television show 24 where the presidents just have to, like everyone is just like just belittling people all the time at those higher levels. <laughs> you know, and you're just like, I could never exist in that environment, right? Okay, men on the bell curve, men are more, have more, there are more men with disagreeable personalities than women. So that means these kind of men will walk into a room and say, I want $5,000 more a year. Whereas women, often won't do that. So what does he do as a clinical psychologist? He trains women on how he's like, I've literally trained hundreds of women on how to double and triple their salaries over X amount of time by overcoming their agreeableness in order to negotiate on their own behalf. Cause agreeable people don't do that. Right. I didn't do that. It took you intervening in my life. Luke, you are one of the most, you have done one of the most important actions in my life, which is give me the book. Um, no more, no more Mr. Nice guy. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the, because I, I read that book and I'm like, holy shit, this is me. Right. So, okay, you take all that and then you have the stuff that you, whoever, uh, this is a very Orwellian thing. Uh, whoever controls definitions, controls language, controls thought. So, if someone says this is toxic masculinity, a lot of people will then immediately condemn and avoid. And then my question is, well, what's your definition of masculinity and what's your definition of toxic masculinity? 
to me, toxic masculinity is something that is chauvinistic and sexist, meaning I think women are less than men. I think women should be put down in society. I think women don't have a place to have their voice or participate in public discourse, right? I think the only like, – that is toxic masculinity. I'm a man. I'm physically stronger, so I'm going to use my physical strength to belittle you. I'm going to use my physical strength to intimidate people into silence. That's toxic masculinity. We read Wild at Heart, Luke, in college. One of the bedrock things of Wild at Heart is the rejection of machoism because that's just a manifestation of the father wound, right? You're trying to overcompensate for a deep wound in your soul. Jordan Peterson says all that stuff. And people are like, oh, no, he's the king of the incels. What's her name? Olivia well, Olivia Wilde made that movie and modeled it after the villain after Jordan Peterson. Was it have. Olivia Wilde who made that? I forget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just and, remember uh, the fantastic memes. Yeah. And uh, so she modeled it after Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson's like, this is the king of the incels. And he's like, okay, what do, when you literally listen to what I say to people who are incels in that community and that, you know, whatever grouping of people, like on Reddit and whatever, he said, what do I tell If all the women in your life reject you and you blame the women, you're wrong, right? You need to be better. You need to be more. You need to be different. You need to work on you because you're the one at problem. That's not the God of the incels. The God of the incels is saying it's the world's problem. It's the women's problem. It's their fault. To me, that's toxic masculinity. You blame the women for the struggles of men. Do you think the danger of it, though? And I feel like a lot of times the people, it's, it, I don't know. I, I'm not going to presume anything that I don't know. Yeah. So Andrew Tate is the next, like some people view him as the next unlogical step from Jordan Peterson. I don't, but I do think he is the, like... It descends. It can descend. I, here's what bothers me about yeah. about a lot of the stuff is like we sometimes we will see what th the risk is. Is that if I go down the Jordan Peterson Amor road, I can either become a I'm a man of virtue or I can become Andrew Tate, which is somehow I've been hurt. I have tried to reclaim my own personhood, find find some healing, and some people become uber douchebags. Yeah, you see that a lot with I'm a no more I'm Mr. Nice Guy. People said I I got this book and I've been hooking up with so many chicks, mm -hmm. and it's like, well, that's not really the point of this, yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, well, they will it, to a certain extent, though, it was for no more Mr. Nice Guy because his, his secular psychological worldview was get the sex that you deserve or that you true, want. true, true. And the true. problem with his approach was again, so oh, so here, um. Yeah, well, so the well, problem with his approach was actually, yeah. Since a lot of people don't have like a, a good like frame of reference, oh, for, for that, nice let's yeah. skip that. But I think this gets to the point. I think you, you like yeah, okay. actually help me un unpack where I was going with this. Was is that without Christianity, I think you can quickly get to this weird sort of like basically it's it's a polar. It's like the inverse of the um of the like feminist. Which is okay. I'm gonna be a dude, and I'm gonna be a dude who's just a fucking douchebag, and I'm gonna make your life. I don't know why I'm dropping f bombs. I'm gonna make your life absolutely miserable because all I care about is um, me and what I want. And it's and it's it's like I feel like people then hear what Jordan Peterson, some of the stuff that he says, it it gets uncomfortable because it's basically like, in my opinion, a healthier of a version for the most part of the Andrew Tate. Andrew Tate's an extreme. I mean, like Andrew Tate may have been like trafficking like, women. So this is like a. I don't even like to use him as an as you know an example, but just like a, a of for for lack of a better term, 
toxic masculinity, but it doesn't mean that Jordan Peterson's wrong either. And I feel like because it can, some people will take it to that extreme. He's immediately written off. And I've done that with a lot of different Catholic things as well, because it comes across as being too, as being too right wing too like too conservative. I only want the parts of the Catholic faith that really make me feel right. Mm -hmm. And, and I, and I don't want to do that because that's not reality. But how am I doing the thing that I don't like what people do to others, which is like, I'm going to, I'm not going to try to really understand what's going on. I'm going to then just go ahead and write, write you off. Yeah. Let's take a moment to hear from our friends over at States of Faith. States of Faith is a brand for Catholics who love the rosary and are proud of where they live. You darn tootin', I'm from Texas. States of Faith features high-quality products with images of your state outlined in the rosary. Aw, it's like Mary is hugging you. Get your state outlined in the rosary on a sweatshirt, t-shirt, coffee mug, or sticker. The collection includes all 50 states. Can you imagine what it must have been like doing all the graphic design work to outline every single state in the rosary. I love the idea of this. I also love the idea because I don't know, you know, Texas, we got a lot of Baptists and a lot of Southern Baptists. I don't know how many of them quite understand uh, how important the rosary is. So imagine you get a fat sticker to match your fat t-shirt with your awesome coffee mug. That's P-H-A-T. Put it on your car. You get out of the car and they're like, I want to talk to you about Jesus Christ. Accept him as your personal Lord and Savior. And you're like, dude, not only is Jesus my personal Lord and Savior, I'm friends with his mom, right? That's what we need here in the state of Texas. Obviously, Texas is holier than Ohio that the other co-hosts might be from. But what we want to do is entrust your state to Mary's intercession and rep your state and faith at statesoffaith.com. Use the code CF15 for 15% off of your order. That's CF15 for 15% off of your order thank you to states of faith for sponsoring this episode of catching foxes and so and that's also and, and i'm going to wade into dangerous waters here but that's also what a lot of people do with andrew tate like andrew tate becomes like he he definitely does not represent judeo-christian values even though he claims to be a muslim and he's a man of god no he's a horrible i mean it's just, i mean it's, we should be like have you seen his stuff well so i've watched him long form yeah not clips of him from other people critiquing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I've seen a lot and I'm like, I'm like there, the, if you boil it down. So what, what I think what Andrew Tate does is he cloaks himself in a Jordan Peterson like approach. Mm -hmm. So what he'll say is I want, he advocates a philosophy of stoicism. That's the, those are his words, a philosophy of stoicism. He advocates men to be healthy physically and mentally to read books, to do all this stuff. And in relationships with women, he advocates men to be providers and protectors. Okay. And when, but, but here's the thing when he talks about being a provider and a protector, he then leverages that as an excuse or an umbrella to cover all things, right? To say like, so for instance, he tells the story of his, one of his girlfriends or living temporary wives i don't know who she was but she would come and she's like he'd make her bring her two cups of coffee and he'd drink one cup of coffee and he wouldn't touch the other one and then he'd pour it out and she's like why every morning do you make me bring you two cups of coffee he's like let's say we're walking down the street and some guy comes up to you and starts you know harassing you i have to lay down my life in order to protect you. the very least thing you could do this is my way of reminding you 
that this is what I'm willing to give. The very least thing you can do is bring me two cups of coffee, even if I only want one cup, just because I want it. And I'm like, okay, so in a sense, I could see he's like, I'm trying to do an object lesson. But in reality, what he's doing is I'm a giant dick who wants to get my own way all the time and control people. Like, that's where the manipulative stuff that's like, I'm using the Jordan Peterson language of like, men have to lay themselves down on the line. That's why men go to war. That's why all this stuff. And then they end up doing this. It's so bizarre. It's so bizarre. So I sat down with a buddy of mine who's in his late 20s. I brought him into the Catholic Church um, two years ago. And we were talking about a lot of these things. And he's like, yeah, man, I love Jordan Peterson, all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. And I go, what do you think of Andrew Tate? And he's like, oh, man, he's like the satanic inversion of Jordan Peterson. And I was like, isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? He goes, and I live with four dudes. So we're all single guys. We all work in, te- in the tech world. They all make bank and they all live together. And he said, all of the guys, uh, he said, some of them are Catholic. Most of them aren't. None of them practice, really. And he said, and I'm, I'm like a committed Catholic. And he goes, and let me tell you, the feminist ideal of a woman, the feminist ideal of a woman is toxic masculinity as a woman. Like to use men, to sleep around, to weaponize your sexuality, to manipulate, to get what you want, to dominate. All the things they hate in toxic masculinity is what they actively encourage in women. He said, every single time I, he's like, I'm on a dating app, I'm on Bumble and I'm on Tinder and all that stuff. He's like, but I make it clear in my profiles, like I am not here to hook up. I am only here to have, uh, you know. Uh, go on a fun date and maybe see if it leads to if we're compatible to a real relationship. And he said, and he's like, I have to end almost every single date with women at at the first or second date because they all are just looking to manipulate you to have sex with you, all of them. And he said, and all the guys, every single guy in my house, they all got snipped. So they're all, uh, gosh, why am I blanking on the actual term? Vasectomy. Vasectomy. Thank you. All of them, because they're like, well, I don't want kids, and I don't want to get married. I just want to smash and live my life and and work out at the gym, and maybe I'll get it reversed whenever I want to. And so he was telling me that the guy who wrote the Bible, and I can't remember his name, the Bible on this kind of red pill lifestyle, so they call it the red pill, are those men who who do this. And he goes, but the guy that wrote it is like a committed Christian who's been married for 20 years. He has a bunch of kids. Like he, He lives the exact opposite life that he advocates for. So the Andrew Tates are like a caricature who rides the coattails of Jordan Peterson. And again, I'm not endorsing everything that Jordan Peterson says, but this is what yeah, I yeah. will say. Uh, number one, that the great stories at the Bedrock Foundation of Civilization and his psychological representation of them and like presentation are very powerful, right? Very, very powerful. So for instance, Von Balthazar's great line, he who sees the most wins, right? Well, the Babylonian myth of Marduk is a god with a thousand eyes around his head. And that's exactly what it means, right? See, he who sees the most wins, right? That's why he wins over Tiamat, the, the dragon bitch goddess, right? So he destroys the... the but, but he goes to these myths, and he shows you how these stories... Like, why Disney was so successful in the 50s and 40s? Because they tapped into the great fairy tales that tap into the bedrock myths, whether they're Christian or pagan. And so he's showing you these things, right? So the, the father... When the father is good, he's a tyrant. Or when a father is good, he's a good, loving, wise father. When he's evil, he becomes a tyrant or he becomes absent, right? So that's why so many Disney characters are boys who, or children who have to deal with dead parents because they don't want to make them tyrannical, right? So they make them absent. 
Like, so they have to navigate their world and find their own way. And mm-hmm. Simba has to deal with life without Mufasa. But the true masculine Mufasa. strength of the good and wise Mufasa. <laughs> Mufasa. <laughs> Say it again. Mufasa. <laughs> but right, like the goodness of Mufasa lives on in Simba, but he chooses mm-hmm. to reject it for a life of dissipation. So Jordan Peterson is the, uh, the monkey in the tree, whatever his name is. What's his name? Oh, I, I talked to Tiban. I talked. Yeah. I don't remember. <laughs> Anywho. He is he like that's Jordan, in you. Yeah, that's the Jordan Peterson thing. Is like wake up to your native nobility, right? So instead of patriarchy, which is a model of dominance, a hierarchy of dominance, he said it's not dominance; it's competence, right? So there, there's not, uh, and it's like no men get whatever they want, do whatever they want, and blah blah blah. And he's like, why aren't feminists demanding equal representation in hard, low-paying physical labor jobs? They're only demanding it at sea level and senior management at corporations of like tech companies and all this. So how come your board's not 51% women? How I mean, come it doesn't represent. Yeah. I, I like, are they? I, I just don't know. Like, I, I like, I don't, I get a little bit like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? I have no idea. I don't, I'm not paying attention to anything. It's so, so funny because listen, one of the reasons why I stopped listening to all those Apple podcasts, I used to listen to like 10, mm-hmm. you know, all at once was. Huh? I, I did. I listened to Mac Break on Weekly um, last night because I wanted to hear the people's thoughts on the a- a- oh, Apple nice. Vision Pro. But go on. N- nice. Yeah. But like accidental tech podcasts yeah. and Daring Fireballs, the talk show and all the different things. And they're all leftists. And I know they're all leftists and you're like, okay, okay, skip, skip, skip. All right. Now they're done with the commentary or they're leftist politics. But the thing that they do every year whenever there's an Apple show is they count how many diverse people there are represented on stage. And all they do is they just gush over this. We're like, oh, man, but they still, you know, we've come a long way, but there's still a lot of work to go. You know, their board is still old white men with gray hair. And it's like, yes, because those were the engineers in the 70s who then became employees, who then became management, who then became the C-level you know, senior vice president. In time, all of this will change. The more women you get in engineering roles, guess what? The more women are going to be engineers, the more women are going to be managers of engineers. Part of this is a function of time, right? No one complains that Indians are being underrepresented in the technology world because in America, Indians and uh, people from the subcontinent of India are overwhelmingly uh, represented in tech companies because they are a country that is trying to foster that. China graduates more engineers. In one year, wait, hold on, has more people entering engineering colleges in, oh, dang, no, Shanghai in one year than all the U.S. graduate, all the, all the engineering schools in the U.S. graduate. Thank God. Oh, engineers, exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) But then you think, and so his whole, his whole argument, it's a competence hierarchy. Like, yes, people game the system. Yes, nefarious actors. That makes sense. Right. You, You know, you have. For every good plumber, you you know, or maybe 10 good plumbers, you have a, a shady guy who's not going to do good work. He says, but often those people get outed because they can't exist within a company. The good plumber who builds his own company sees the incompetent plumber because he's having to follow up the work and it's going to cost him money, so he'll out him. So these are the, the idea of competences. And then the other thing is civilization is built. And these are things that very radical feminists would also agree who aren't anti-man like Camilla Paglia. She would say the world is so stupid in the hatred of men. If a feminism, if feminism hates men, that feminism needs to be rejected as stupid. She said once civilization collapsed, whether it's a weather event, you know, uh, some, you know, food shortages, whatever, 
every feminist woman is going to run to the strongest man they could find. Because when things get crazy, that's who's going to help you. And she said, we all live on a knife edge with our plumbing, electrical, internet, banking. It's people who are willing to do the hard work. And Jordan Peterson tells crazy stories. Okay, so long story short. Uh, feminists have been attacking men for three decades now. And part of the reason was because of studies that came out, and there was a book called Raising Ophelia. Almost every Franciscan um, catechetics major had to read this book. It was one of Shannon's favorite books, Raising Ophelia, which talks about the massive drop in self-esteem in girls towards the end of elementary school and beginning of middle school, right? So pre-pubescent years, maybe beginning of pubescent years. But this, this notion of their self-esteem takes a major hit, right? And so the idea was build up girls' self-esteem, build up girls' self-esteem. So Girl Scouts completely revised their th- I mean, we're talking, it was a nationwide, like, wake-up call movement, all this stuff. Nothing happened for boys, right? Nothing happened for boys. Because then the feminist rhetoric was, everything is for you, so now we need to make, we need to go overboard for them. And that's wrong, right? And I mean by that's wrong is, in actuality, not everything was for boys. Because boys also go through a major dip in self-esteem, it's just post-puberty. And their major dip in self-esteem, no one gives a flying rat's ass about. So men ages 16 to 25 are at the peak of their vitality, peak of their aggression, peak of their hormones, peak of their, what, violence, peak of antisocial behavior, uh, you know, all of these things. And now we are abandoning them right at that point. We are abandoning boys left and right. To prisons, literally, there is a sentencing practice in the United States where judges will extend prison sentences for men to age 30 so that when they release them, their hormone, all that stuff, levels, will have gone down to the point that they're no longer a threat. Not that their crimes deserve that, but just like society needs it, we're putting you into your 30. I have worked with those men in prison who are like, I, I, you know, my lawyer could not get them out of you know, these, the sentence. They said it was the most severe sentence they've ever seen for the type of crime that I did. Yeah, I was. These are men who are part of gangs. Also, okay. There is a war on men and a war on boys. There absolutely is. Our educational system is built to favor the predispositions of girls. Now, someone like me, it favored my predisposition. I love school. I love sitting there learning things and taking tests. But not everyone does, especially not boys. So, what have we done in school? The level of physical education, large muscle movements have diminished. In America, you can track. That we used to have like an hour and a half of free time, an hour and a half of recess and physical education. Now it's like, I think the national average is like 35 minutes or something like that. The, one of the schools that we looked at putting our kids in put preschool kids in the day school, elementary school time frame of eight and a half hours or eight hours. Preschool kids. And the majority of that was sitting in a chair and a desk. Right? Boys cannot do that. And yet, the education system favors things like penmanship at an early age. If you can't write your name with good penmanship, that's bad. Boys, statistically, and because of our uh, neuromuscular development, fine motor skills are about one to two years behind girls. So if you're talking about penmanship, yes, boys' handwriting is going to be sloppy compared to the average of girls. So you start getting this thing where you have boys are less likely to graduate college. Of the high school dropouts, the majority are boys, right? And girls, if they're not pregnant, generally don't drop out of high school, right? The majority reason why girls drop out of high school is because they get pregnant, right? So you have boys who are more often convicted, are given longer prison sentences. They're more often to commit violent crime. They're coming from homes 
violent criminal offenders are coming from single parent homes where there is no man or male role model in these boys' lives. And I can tell you from my ministry experience in prison, in violent prisons, almost 100% of those men had no good father figure. They were either abusive or absent. They were either the tyrant or they were gone. So Jordan Peterson is absolutely right in this, in this um, drawing from the fairy tale kind of experience of the, the mythological world. And so, long story short, the problem is when you label masculinity and elements of masculinity toxic, right? There is toxic masculinity. You can be an asshole. You can be a jerk. You can be violent. You can be abusive. You can be intimidating. Most men don't realize that they are intimidating to women when they get upset, when they get angry. because they're. But most men also know that there is, in the level that doesn't exist among most women, for most men, there's an implicit level of physical violence that could happen in the middle of a disagreement, right? Mm-hmm. Right, so when I'm at the movie theater with Jackie, my freshman year, Stoomville movie theater, watching a movie, three high school boys, about 10 rows behind me, are throwing popcorn at her the whole movie. And I didn't know it and, until about halfway through. Oh, yeah, I forgot there. about this. Yeah, and she stands up, and she's like, oh, oh, and I'm like, what? And she's like, I'm getting hit in the head with popcorn. And she looks back, and then she turns around, and she cusses them out. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm a freshman in college. I'm 18. These are seniors in high school. They are 17 or 18. And they are all athletes. <laughs> and there is more than one of them. And I'm the and, gomer. <laughs> and I'm gomer. I'm filled with squishy, yummy chocolate. <laughs> but in my head, right, you know, like every man knows what is going to happen, right? If they don't stop, either I go and get the manager, which is like going to your mommy, or it's going to become physically violent. I don't think right. even the manager is going like going to your mommy, but I see your point. Right. No, I, I mean that's point. what I mean. Right. Like in the yeah. back of the man's head, it's like, uh, right. It's so the, obviously the, there's always an option to do like to to get physical. Yes. Yeah. It's always and and I, yeah. I was explaining this to my wife, and she's like, "What?" I'm like, oh, yes, yeah, uh, always, every, yeah, like yeah. elevated disagreement where I don't really know, like, if it, especially when it gets personal and you start like doing this stuff. You know, there's an implied background thing of like, this could get violent. You know? Yeah. And she I, said, I, I've, I have, I've never been in a real fight. You know, I mean, besides like the stuff that happens in like, you know, in like junior high or in yeah. grade school or, or whatever, which that doesn't count. Yeah. But like all of us have like had the urge or felt close to being in one. You know? Yes. <laughs> in like adulthood. Yeah. Like yeah. multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. And my wife has never thought that ever. Yeah. It has never dawned on her like, I'm going to pop my nails off and pull this bitch's hair. Right, she's never thought that. She might have been like, "I'm so mad." I got. It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So all that being said, all that being said, I'm now at that man as you, right? And I remember when I was talking with them, I was like, "Oh, oh, I don't know," <laughs> like because a lot of that man as you group is supposed to be for all men, but it generally is for the retired crowd or the near retired crowd and all this stuff. But then I started watching the videos. I think they reshot them in 2020, maybe 2021. Really good, high-quality stuff in their studio. And I'm watching Steve Bowman. Now, I had originally done That Man Is You in 2000 and, I don't know, 2007, 2008, when it first came out. And I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. A lot of it is about marriage and family and stuff. So I started re-watching it now on double speed uh, in order to get caught up with and really understand their mission. And I'm going through it, and I'm like, this, I think, strikes the balance between like so I, I i there's a young woman that i meet with regularly who came from 
And to me, this is what is also an antidote to the hypermasculinity world. She comes from a place of where her, her father was extremely abusive. And they went to, they gravitated to the traditional Catholic stuff. And domestic violence was huge. And they got out. You know, it's, it's a terrible situation that only gets worse. And he's not around anymore in all the ways that that sentence means. But mom got out. And then she's telling me, like, I'm hanging out with these guys. And sometimes they express views that scare me. Like, I sh- I'm the husband is the head of the wife. Therefore, he gets to tell her how to do everything. And I'm like, obviously, this guy is not married. And she's like, well, one of them isn't. One of them is. I'm like, what the hell? And she said, well, what does it look like, the man being the head of the home? And I, I always have a trouble answering that question because I'm like, I don't, I don't, I can only think of one time in our marriage where we, me and Shannon were at dead to rights, you know, could not budge. And I was like, honey, I, I have to put my foot down with this. And it was a matter of life and death. It was my, the whole altercation with my neighbor and the husband, mm-hmm. ex-husband showing up and he had threatened to kill me and all that. Which I didn't tell her that he had threatened to kill me at the time, but every time I heard a truck drive by, I freaked out and looked at the window, and and I'm like, I can't do this. We're going to my mom's house. She's like, I am not going to your mom's house right now, blah, blah, blah. And she was so pissed, and I'm like, for the safety of of you and our children, I have to get you out of this situation. Mm -hmm. I got to go to my mommy and call the manager. (laughs) So, and it was beautiful. No, it was so funny because as soon as we get this, 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 upper class suburbia take me away. (laughs) Uh, It was so funny because as soon as we arrive at my parents' house, right? So Shannon doesn't speak to me the whole drive down. And we get to my parents' house and we go upstairs and we're putting the kids' stuff in their room. And I throw the cover back from the blanket and there's a giant pee stain on, on the bed sheets. And then. As I move, I'm like, oh, no, we got to do this. And so basically my brother and his kid stayed and, uh, you know, several years ago and they had a young one and the kid wet the bed and he was so embarrassed. He didn't tell anyone. And so he just made the bed. <laughs> so my mom didn't know or and no one ever goes in that room except guests and the kids. Right. So we, and then <laughs> Shannon looks at the pee stain and looks at me like she's going to kill me. And then I'm like, it's fine. We'll just do clean the sheets. It'll be fine. So we started to throw the bed at all this shards of glass come spilling out and we're like what the hell is this <laughs> there's glass shards because my mom was like after they left she was picking up something and it, uh, like um my mom you know she has the queen of knickknacks and yeah. this thing like shattered and it fell on the on the mattress cover and she didn't realize it and she forgot about it and went and moved the thing but forgot the glass so shannon's like our kids are gonna sleep on piston glass <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like yeah but you know what we're not gonna be dead in the morning but think of the content no no <laughs> Yeah. So I'm like, literally, that's the only time. Yeah. And I said, because here's the deal. I love my wife. I love her. I'm not here to use her. I'm not here to treat her poorly. And I adhere to the Thomistic definition of love, to will the good of the other as Mm -hmm. other. Right. And in Ephesians chapter five, which we had read at our wedding, wives be submissive to your husbands as Christ is to the church. We had that read because take in your face, uh, but also because (laughs) right before that, it says, be submissive to one another. And in the Greek, it just says, wives, your husbands as to the Lord. Meaning, the Greek leaves out verbs when it's referencing the previous verb. So obviously, be submissive to one another, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ, is what's implied in the next three things of husbands and wives, children to parents, slaves to masters. And so when you break down the husbands and wives scenario, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, a lot of people like to dismiss it and push that away, like, where, you know, whatever. But the reality is, 
if I am mute, if we are mutually submitting ourselves, my leadership role will always be Christian. That means it is in service to her. And her submission to me will always be Christian, meaning it is out of love and reverence for me. And so I love and respect her. She loves and respects me, right? And so in that scenario, my leadership doesn't, will never look like dominance, which is a result of the fall. I will never dominate her and impose my will on her without caring about her, right? That one time where I said, Shannon, uh, we have to leave, that was me at my most protective, mm-hmm. right? That wasn't yeah. dominance. That was service because she didn't have all the information. She didn't look that cold, stone-cold killer in the eyes and hear him say, now I know where you live, bitch, and I'm going to kill you to me, Ugh. right? So I saw that. <laughs> Emotionally, it had an impact. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, so it, it, that, it, that she just lacked. So, so when I'm sitting there listening to, so they have five character traits of authentic leaders. Number one is personal responsibility. Number two is clarity of thought. Number three is integrity of purpose. Number four is foundation for the future. And number five is sacrifice. Jordan Peterson talks about sacrifice as the center of all of Western civilization. Built on man and woman as the image and likeness of God is, crucified, is the crucified God. He was in a debate with a Muslim a woman who was a councilman somewhere, I think in Canada. And she said, uh, they were discussing these. It wasn't a debate. It was a discussion. And he said, at the core of Western civilization is the crucifix. It is the man who expresses his love for his bride, by his love for others, mm-hmm. by dying for them. I mean, Jesus says, no greater love has a man than this, he who lays down his life for his friend. So sacrifice is the center of civilization, right? And for Jordan Peterson, sacrifice interpreted psychologically is deferred gratification. I'm going to deny myself today for something better tomorrow. And that is so powerful when you think about it on a human level. Right when most people for most of human history lived on what they ate food based on the money that they got from their labor for that day. That's why the Bible says it is basically one of the four most evil sins in the Bible to deprive a laborer of their wages, right? Because then they starve that day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when mm-hmm. the Jews, when Israel voluntarily sacrifices work one day a week in order to worship God. Jordan Peterson says it takes that notion of delayed gratification and places it in the center of worship, right? Saying, I am willing to trust God's providence over me absolutely. I'll even forego work for a day. Now, today, we don't think that. We got a weekend. We got this. We got that. But back then, that was, you were putting, like, at the end of the day, that's why Jesus tells that parable of the, where he pays all the laborers and the people who work all day get the same as a person who only works one hour. Because at the end of the day, you had to pay all your laborers so they could go buy food for their family to eat, right? So, anywho, personal responsibility that's the make your bed from Jordan Peterson. But personal responsibility, I'm meditating on this morning, Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist. The first thing the prophet John the Baptist preaches in the desert, the first words he says in Luke's gospel is, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath that is to come, right? Rather, Bear fruit that befits repentance, right? So he basically blasts them and says, he insults everyone that comes to him. He insults them, but he's saying, right now, the ax is at the root of the tree. Bear good fruit or you'll be cut down and thrown into the fire. That was the message of John the Baptist to prepare the way of the Lord. And to me, like when you start to look at this understanding, what do people do? We pretend like we're not under judgment until we are. 
But when you look at the Bible, all four Gospels, Jesus talks as if everything depends on our decisions and our deeds, right? And that's what judgment, right? The, the general judgment of the living and the dead in, in Matthew 25, right? You have the sheep and the goats. What you did for me, what you did for the least, you did for me. So then this notion of personal responsibility, uh, Jordan Peterson says, make your bed before you try to change the world. If you don't have your house in order, how are you going to set the political order in order? And I really do believe that. I obviously believe I that, it, that it's not a hard and fast thing, like, until I have everything perfect. But he's not saying perfect. He's saying have it in order. Well, I, I think he's pointing to a way to do it, as opposed yeah. to, like, if your bed isn't made, you're a, you know, you're a screw-up. Yeah. It's like, here is a way to bring about order within your life. Yeah. There is a simple way to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I just love personal responsibility, clarity of thought, integrity of purpose. What does integrity mean? It comes from Latin integras, meaning whole. An integer is a whole number. Wholeness. We need to have wholeness. And so he says, in clarity of thought, uh, this is Steve Bowman from That Made Is You, clarity of thought and integrity of purpose is your intellect and your will being conformed to what God wants. Mm-hmm. And then he says everything else, the, the, what he calls the political and the economic leadership roles of men, is to build a foundation for the future. Because when men don't do this, when they become economically selfish or politically selfish, what they end up doing is not build a foundation for the future, right? They rob future generations of having a peaceful society. So he was talking about that the, the, the glory of man living in accord with God in these leadership roles is not that men are awesome and women suck, right? No, that's not it. Human beings, right, is that there is peace, that violence decreases. That abortion decreases, that adultery decreases, because men and women, man is in harmony within himself, with his bride, with his children, and with his society. But that's the order. And what we're saying as a society is, no, 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 society, we have to fix society, and that'll fix everything else. And I, I, the, the individualism of Jordan Peterson, the radical individualism, is where I pump the brakes and say, no, you, you don't understand. You don't understand this stuff. But uh, on, in terms of serving the poor, I, I have never heard him be like, well, good luck, poor people. Enjoy dying. Yeah. I, I can't remember what he said on Twitter. Um, he like something about the Pope. And I was like, what? Yeah, well, there is that he is against the redistribution of wealth and he is against equity, which is equality of outcome. Yeah, but that's not, not what the Pope equality. was talking about. Right. Oftentimes, though, it's, it's the economic policies of the Vatican are wealth redistributist redistributist which is rich nations should don't should give large sums of money to poor nations right and populorum progressio by pope paul the sixth saint pope paul the sixth that was one of his big things and we did that in the u.s we gave billions to third world countries or we loaned them and then forgave the debt and all you do when you have a government to government transfer of wealth for the vast majority of times is you prop up terrible regimes which is also evil. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to find the. Yeah. You had also sent it to me. I was like, I said, come get your boy. boy. Oh, okay. okay. Here it is. So the, the Pope had a oh, quote yeah, about just... I'm, uh, saying hashtag social justice. I can't have my glasses on demands that we fight against the causes of poverty, inequality, and the, and the lack of labor, land, and lodging against those who deny of social and labor of rights and against the culture that leads to taking away the dignity of others. I think we would both agree with that. Yeah. Then Jordan Peterson quote tweeted that with, there is nothing Christian about hashtag social justice. 
Redemptive sal- salvation is a matter of the individual soul. Yeah. And I'm like, not in the slightest. Yeah. And I, I, I just, but I think what really worries me is like a lot of people pretty much just follow this. And then yeah. e- even if they say, oh yeah, I'm for like, like, the problem with a lot of economic, almost social justice issues, is it makes us un, un, uh, uncomfortable because we lack c- we lack control. Because mm. it's like I hear you about like giving to like other um nations and stuff, and like they do, but it's like we're so called to give. So then, what does it look like? Yeah, you know, and we 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 can we we can um, get into that at another point in time i think it's a good discussion and, and we and we kind of have but the yeah. tough part about this is i think a lot of times one of the reasons why people have issues with a lot of social justice issues is it's like there is like a sacrificial element to that and they receive none of they receive like none of the benefit on the surface they get a ton of benefit in reality hmm. where like that's where that's who we are called to be what we are called to to be like but Jordan Peterson, uh, and I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing, but would say like, when you are sacrificing today in order for tomorrow, you're going to reap the benefits of like what of like what you, of of what you are sacrificing for. Where Christianity is a total gift of the self. There is a benefit because we become like who we are meant to to be, and we are in you know all that stuff. But it's not. It's not a tangible, techne, capitalistic like benefit. It's a benefit yeah. of being, yeah, which we've just completely rejected and have no time or no time or use for. And I get worried that a lot of stuff for Christian men takes that same attitude. That it's not about being. It's still actually rooted in techne. It's still on. It's like the the first premise is actually still off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, see, and this is my critique of Jordan Peterson constantly is the idea of radical individualism. I don't think he has sufficiently turned because he's not really a Christian. No, right? yeah, not at all. And so, like, he 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 says, "I believe in Christ," but he still doesn't know if Christ actually or if God actually exists. I live as if he does. And so, when oh, so I'm reading some of the following quotes about it, there's nothing Christian about social justice. Redemptive salvation is a matter of the individual soul. In reality, there are certain ways that that is absolutely true. Like, Christ would die on the cross to save one soul, correct? Yes, Mm -hmm. we all say that. We all affirm that. But he died for the sins of the whole world, the sin of the world, which is original sin, and the sins, which is your and my actual sins of the whole world. When he's at the Last Supper, he says, this will be shed for you and for the many, so that sins may be for you, individual, and for the many, right? When we start to break down these things, right, we... Uh, St. Paul says, I become all things to all people so that I might actually win some, right? Because he knows not the majority. But at the same time, what does social justice mean today? Right? So meaning, social justice means today all the social justice warrior crap. It, it, it is a strictly Marxist phenomenon today. Now, not in the patrimony of the Catholic Church. In, in the patrimony of the – when you talk about social justice, you are talking – in today's media parlance, when people on both mm-hmm. sides, people that are anti and people that are pro, the people who are anti are anti the Marxist tenets of social justice. I, I, I don't think so. Pro, I don't. I don't. I don't, I, well, don't, what I'm saying, I don't let, know. Let me finish my damn thought. Okay, what sorry, sorry, I'm yeah, saying yeah, yeah, is yeah, the conversation is not on the Catholic principles of social justice mm-hmm. as the Catholic Church understands it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? It yes. is yeah. on I would, the I would agree dominant cultural norm, which is heavily influenced by the Marxist critique of capitalism and modernity, right? So Marx's critique of understanding of like, and, and how it's evolved through the years of what we call the social justice warrior, people who understand themselves as activists correcting injustices in society, right? And so Jordan Peterson, his, his whole thing is one of the fatal flaws of communism, socialism, and Marxism in general is that it reduces the individual to the collective, and that's a reduction. In Catholicism, we never forget the individual when we elevate them to the community, right? When we see them in the context of the community. It's a both and, not an either or. In Marxism, it tends to be an either or. You either have the collective or you only have the individual. And the individual is but one unit of the collective. That's what gets you the gulag archipelago, right? Like, that's what it comes to. So for people like Glenn Beck, I remember I was watching Glenn Beck. My parents were. I walked through the house and he said, if your priest or pastor says social justice, anything in this homily, get up and walk out. And I was like, what the hell? Has this guy never read the catechism of the Catholic Church? Well, of course he hasn't because he's Mormon. But I was like, this is totally part. Well, he thinks yeah, this might be notion, his planet. Yeah. <laughs> in this planet, uh, no, that whole language has been hijacked. Right. And so I think the problem with Jordan Peterson is so I uh, Taylor Marshall said the same thing. There is all justice is social. What the hell is social justice? And so I had a parishioner yell at me this quote. She said, what the hell is this? And so I sent her clips of the catechism, which is there are things called societies and societies are composed of individuals, but endure beyond any one individual. So like the Knights of Columbus is a society, the the labor guild, the iron worker number 217 and you know all this stuff those are societies right societies exist they're big ones small ones subgroupings whatever big ones and small ones some as big as your head. i've got a lovely bunch of coconuts there they are standing in a row big ones small ones some as big as your head short ones fat ones some on twitter but anyway so yeah there is a thing called social justice because there is a thing called society yeah and individual but here's the deal in catholic social teaching you can never do injustice to an individual so that good may come for the common good or Mm -hmm. the collective right marxism does not hold that so marxism says you can confiscate the wealth because probably that wealth was ill-gotten in order to redistribute it to those who don't have. Mm-hmm. And, and Jordan Peterson would say, number one, the majority of wealth is not inherited. The majority of people who inherit wealth, do not, it does not endure less than more than three gener- or more now, than one generation. But when, like when Karl Marx is talking, I'm, why am I always having to take the defense of the things that I don't agree with? <laughs> like, <laughs> he's, he's talking about how, the, how, the, how profit from the capital that was used was done on the backs of labor that are not able to participate yeah. in right. those profits. Right. So it's not necessarily, although kind of like yeah. inheritance, like when, right. when like people talk about it right now for the most part, they're not really referring to like inheritance. They're referring to profit or to like executive compensation from the, like it gets weird. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, and when you, and, and so part of the Marxist critique that I'm a hundred percent in favor of, is the alienation of the worker from the fruit of their labor. Mm-hmm. And that's yes, part agreed. of the Catholic social justice tradition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? So I'm all so when we talk about this and we talk about Marxism as a label, again, there are elements in the Marxist critique of capitalism that have become a part of capitalism's own self-understanding. So for instance, the First Amendment, where you have a right 
to the redress of grievances. Um, excuse me, you have the right to peaceable assembly, to petition the government for a redress of grievances, all of this stuff. The the right of assembly, like that's part of a human under of, of human nature to form these societies. And these societies can be unions or guilds like they were in the medieval era. But the capitalist is not the, the economic professor is not wrong to say, hey, unions can actually corrupt the 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 enterprise the organization unions themselves can become corrupt right and they can begin corrupting work and how do they corrupt work well they emphasize seniority over all comers they elevate the price of labor disproportionate to its output they can bankrupt companies all this Mm -hmm. stuff so there can be things where it becomes like a prisoner's dilemma where it's management versus union and that's that's horrible um but the the most staunch capitalist i've ever read ludwig von mises is like and, and, and Murray Rothbard, who are anarcho-capitalists, well, Rothbard is, but they were like, yes, everyone has a right to join a union, right? Mm-hmm. You have a right to strike. You have a mm-hmm. right to do all these things. That is an innate human right because you have a right to these societies. The problem then becomes if you only understand, which is the dominant media narrative of diversity, inclusion, and equity, and especially that equity as we need to take from those who have and give to those who have not because it's all unjust why they have not. And Jordan Peterson's response is, there are injustices, even systemic ones, that need to constantly be addressed. Absolutely. But there also is a thing called competence. And the people who are the best in their field will always make more money. Always. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You play the game of Monopoly. You play it long enough. One person wins and without and cheating. Who typically ever owns the orange and the yellow. That's really the <laughs> sweet spot. where you land. That's right. really the sweet spot. Right. And so if you have a plumber who's really, really good at plumbing, generally speaking, people will recommend him to their friends, even if he's more expensive, because there's nothing more expensive than having a plumber come out a second time to fix a crappy job. Right. So if you have a carpenter, if you have a guy, so you have all these physical labors that are completely ignored, right, by modern society. Right. It's the whole point of micros, dirty jobs is like, hey, you can actually make a living in, in, in the trades. Come to the trades. Okay, they're telling you don't work in the trades because that's menial manual labor, right? Like these are traditional masculine roles because it relies on physical strength. Mm-hmm. It relies on it and large muscle movements and all this stuff. And so the and men are um, men are better at spatial awareness, uh, you know, than women are. All this stuff, but the, that doesn't mean that women are then thus worthless and valueless or can't go into the trades, right? Uh, and so Lowe's just said a whole a wonderful commercial. About getting women involved in getting little girls involved in power tools and woodworking and all this stuff, so that you can have more women in the trades. You know why that's awesome is because they didn't have to shit on men in order to make that commercial, right? They weren't like men are keeping women out of the trades. It's like no moms, like bring your daughters, do this. Dads, teach your daughters how to use this stuff because a girl who uses a carpenter square is a girl who will use a jigsaw, use you know a power drill, will eventually learn one day to build houses. And like that's the that's like that's awesome. Right? That's awesome. That's something. Okay, so going back to the Jordan Peterson thing, just because I follow a lot and agree with a ton of stuff that he says doesn't mean I agree with all of it. And most of the crap that's out there is a distortion. But I like I like and I don't think if you follow his advice perfectly, you'll have you'll end up in toxic masculinity. I think you'll end up with a reconciliation with your dad. I think you'll end up uh probably physically healthier. And financially a little bit better off. And if your life is complete, like if you're the guy that dwells in the mom's basement and you follow his lessons, you won't be. You won't be. 
How many times have you and I been to do a young adult group and you're surrounded by weirdos? Too right? many times. Too many times. Are the weirdos men or women? Typically. Majority. Uh, Majority. Men. Right. Men and the women are, are trying to fight for that title, but that's not a title you want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so the thing is this. is like, okay, well, who's helping them? Yeah. And then what do they do? They internalize it. There's self-hatred. And then they lash out and blame women. Well, you have yeah. high standards. You know, it's like, okay, well, women are allowed to have high standards, not diluted standards. I will only date a man who has six figures and is six, six, two or, or taller. That's diluted. Women's obsession with men who are taller than them is the undoing of dating in America. <laughs> that feels like a random comment. <laughs> oh, no, man. It is so huge. If you're if you're five eleven or shorter, good luck. If you're five five or shorter, you could be the greatest, richest man, and it is so hard to get a date. I'm fine. You're fine. You're six two. Yeah, I'm jealous. Hmm. How tall are you? Six flat. Really? Uh, that makes sense. I forget what the point of this was overall. Well, I was saying <laughs> I was sharing with you how like actually going through the that man is you stuff because i dismissed it oh originally. that's right yeah, yeah 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 yeah. how like i'm like okay well here's the deal the thing that he, like a big driving force of everything he's doing is to build the foundation for the future and that's things that i think a lot is in the red pill manosphere all that stupid crap is getting left out is to be a man is to be a man for others like christ mm-hmm Hey, I'm here to talk to you about NET at netusa.org slash apply. So you guys may have heard me talk about on the podcast in the past that one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't do NET. I think I really would have loved it. I almost went to NET Australia, I think, or something. It was talked about. Uh, my friend Danielle called it. Maybe NET Island. I don't remember. It was like 20 years ago. Anyways, I have worked with NET in the past for other projects I've been a part of. I've been to their home campus. They're a fantastic organization. One of the most impressive I've ever been with an organization was actually when I went to go and visit NET from top to bottom. Just awesome, amazing people. And they are calling you today to apply to be a NET missionary. If you or, or someone you know could serve to be a NET missionary, please tell them about this link, netusa.org slash apply. The reality is that young people today are growing up in a largely post-Christian culture, making choosing the faith all the more difficult. A vast majority of Catholic youth are disconnecting from the church during their teenage years. Net Ministries is passionate about challenging young Catholics through relational ministry to follow Christ and embrace a life of community in the church. That's why working alongside youth ministers, parishes, and schools, Net Missionaries help young people encounter the person of Christ through evangelization and discipleship. As a net missionary, you will meet young people who need to hear your particular story. Your journey with the Lord matters. You can be an example to young people of how to make the faith their own, allowing Christ to enter into their lives. Your story has a purpose. The Lord has a call for you. If you're between the ages of 18 to 28 and interested in serving the Lord as a net missionary, Go to netusa.org slash apply. That's netusa.org slash apply and fill out an application. Not able to apply yourself? Share about Net's mission with a young adult in your life and encourage them to apply today. That's netusa.org slash apply. N-E-T-U-S-A, U-S-A, U-S-A, N-E-T-U-S-A dot org slash apply. Go check out netusa.org slash apply and and become a net missionary. 
This is the Lord calling you to do it. Do it. Luke said so. To be a man for others doesn't just mean, well, I got my chick and I'm going to get in a fight for her if someone comes after her on the street. It means that I love this woman to the point where, right, I will give up even my desires to make her happy. But at the same time, I'm not going to be a simp, right? And that's mm-hmm. what the No More Mr. Nice Guy cured me of. I was, I was the simp's simp, right? I, I thought that by caving into every wish and whim of the women around me, by being their best bud, that they would take me seriously as a, like a, boy, a potential boyfriend or whatever. You know, in, the, in his language in the book, that they would eventually give you sex. And what ends up happening is you just end up resenting them because you never get it, right? Yeah. And that is Michael Gormley massaging ex-girl's foot at feet at the uh, red, uh, wedding, and you wanted to go and, and party, and, I'm, and we're all hanging out. At, was it a Joey's, Joey's wedding? And I'm hanging out, and you're like, and I'll never forget you eye-rolling me, being like, let's just go. And I'm just like, but I'm with a pretty girl, and maybe she'll like me more. <laughs> That's all I'm thinking. And I'm like, good Lord, that was so dumb. I forgot about, wait, what happened? We were all, all of us Frannies were hanging out at a big hotel room and we were about to go into like the hotel bar. Go Definitely to the bar was. Yeah, door, yeah. And I, some girl was like, oh, my feet hurt. We've been on our feet all day. I was like, I'll massage your feet. I'm just sitting there like, <laughs> I, I, just for yeah. the record, I'm not a foot guy. If that's what you think this is. <laughs> it was like, I'm serving this woman. I'm being, and she's like, you're so sweet. You're so sweet. You're so sweet. And I'm like, yeah. And then she's going to say, you're so hot. And then she's going to be like, kiss me. Right, that's the stupid <laughs> asinine twenty something yeah. brain, and I just remember yeah. you being like, "The fuck are you doing? Let's go, <laughs> Take a duke." Like, yeah, and you rolled your eyes. I've never seen you roll your eyes more at me. I'd been drinking, so it's probably just like not hiding anything. I just kept staring at the ceiling, being like, "What was Luke looking at?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like going through how Adam and Eve, the garden, you know, like and just at King David, right. He gave up his masculine job to go out with the, the armies of Israel. Yeah. He indulged in lust. He had sex with Bathsheba. She was probably all in, right? Like, it wasn't like he raped Bathsheba. It wasn't like he seduced her. If anything, she was taking a bath on the rooftop right across from the palace of the king. This isn't a Cialis commercial where your bath, <laughs> where your clawfoot bathtub is in the, the forest. Here we, last night we were just going into what is the um, woman at the well doing, trying to talk about her um, disposition. We have no idea if that's what she was trying to do. Oh no, no this was a lot of scholars say that. Like, oh really? Oh, okay, okay. So, okay, okay. sorry. This, I'll, I'll take that. Yeah, this comes just... from my background in <laughs> biblical theology. And it's it's like, why the hell are we trying to make her yeah. out to be? Yeah. No, God, generally speaking, wives did not take baths on the rooftops of I mean, their houses. Okay, and Jerusalem was a Jebusite stronghold it was a jebusite city and when king david took over and uriah wasn't even a jew or an israelite he was a jebusite so was his wife so they were like foreign born people incorporated into israel and so she is now in with the king and so that means the son of david king solomon is the the son of a jebusite woman i think there is something very interesting about like um like i i i i i really have a hard time being like all women want this all like all men want that just yeah. because it, it's just not always tr- it's just not always true. It's sometimes yeah. more true. like it just it, it's it's a bit of a mess, and it feels like we're kind of like not really dwelling in reality. But for myself, and yeah. I and I know others that I have I've spoken with, respect goes a long a long way. Like men yeah. want to feel respected, not not feared. That is a right. that is a distortion of respect. They just want to be respected. Absolutely. 
I don't even want to be deferred to. I just want to, you know, just don't think I'm an idiot, please. <laughs> you know, like just applaud me constantly. Yeah. No, but see, and, like that attention whore stuff is not also not respect. That's also not what men want. Yeah, I'm exactly. Sure. But and I think a, some of the women I've talked to, they want to feel like they are like beautiful and and loved. And I don't know. Um, I'm not sure a lot of I mean, of course, they want respect. OK, mm -hmm. uh, as as Aretha did, did tell us. But the way that Which was is, originally a song written by a man. The way that is manifest. Okay, who gives a shit? No, no, no. That, that's the that's the point of the song. Is it was oh, okay. originally written by? Oh, a man I'm sorry. I don't saying know. to his wife, when you come home, all I want is respect. Oh, I see. When, when I get home, the, okay. And she took and Aretha took that as kind of like a women's anthem, but it was originally a, like a song of a man to, yeah. to his wife, being like, "All all I want is a little bit of respect." Well, and that's and and you yeah, know, um, <laughs> and it uh. It it really does go a long way. It really, really does, and I, and yeah. and I think like the thing that I like makes me a little uncomfortable. Is sometimes I feel like the way that I respect the way that it is talked about. We don't have to get into this because I don't really have time. Like yeah, I, we can wrap I, up. I, I do have to go here in about ten minutes. Is that the respect tends to feel like sometimes it's like oh, manifested in like some weird ways, and I'm like, yeah. mm. but but it is something that's worth talking about. It is almost something I think I'd be curious to see like particularly in the comments of on Patreon, what some of the women think about this, because I like, what does that actually look like? Yeah. What does it actually um, look like? And I, and I, I just think we're all just really broken. Yep. And I, and I, I don't, I mean this in like a, like until that brokenness is acknowledged, it is never going to get better. Yeah. Like you can read all the Jordan Peterson you want. Your life will get, I guess like instead of not getting laid, you'll, you'll, be getting laid, but you're gonna end up just as miserable. Mm -hmm. And you know what? You're gonna actually like hurt like a lot more people you're while, while you're doing that. So like, it's not like that's why like to me like I agree that like Andrew Tate is like the demonic inverse of that because like I mean the guy could there's a chance I mean he's being charged with like trafficking women. Yeah, and he was it, held ninety something days in prison, and like a lot of his stuff is like just sleep with whoever you want, just do this and this, and you can just do whatever you want. And it's about not apologizing for it kind of which is what people want him and i can understand not wanting to apologize for being a man i think that is a, yeah a good thing but if you don't fix original sin yeah. or if you don't find um healing or try or if, if you're not striving for the good you are going to end up destroying lives including your own mm -hmm. and it's like is it worth it yeah you know and, and so like i that's where i get um nervous about a lot of the stuff is and, and i I think it. I think it is. I'm worth it to try to explore these things. I think you can find Christianity with within all of this. But if we're not continually trying to like have an attitude of receptivity to the Lord and to and to the Church and like understanding what are her teachings, what does all this mean? Going into you know stuff we talked about last last night, like. You like you know you you will write off like social justice because you don't actually take the time to see what does the church um mean by by this and we haven't done the work to be to actually go okay so like here's what it says what does this look like in real yeah. in like um our real life and and quite often what happens and I think like you bring up a real unvalid point which is like okay so like um, what does that mean now like what is a just wage right 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 now and the onus is on us to try to understand what is that. Yeah, and to really work out that math there, yeah, but then and, to say that oh. it's not possible. Oh, sorry, I'll, I'll just I'll finish here really quick. To say it's I'm not possible, so I'm not gonna I'm gonna say it's a good idea, but I'm not gonna really engage with that. That is a cop out. Mm -hmm. 
And that's what I, th- uh, and that's actually deforming us. That's hurting us. Yeah. And the more detached we get from between labor and the products of our labor, the fruit of our labor, the more detached we as a civilization, I think the, the worst detachment is us from the fruit of the earth, right? The seasonality of food mm-hmm. and, and the more our interaction with food is only supermarkets and kitchens. I think that's the, I, I honestly believe that's the first true alienation that leads to disorder because then it's like the, the very thing that gives me life, I'm completely disconnected from. And the more techne we wrap ourselves in, whether we're talking about Apple Vision Pro, we're talking about ear pods where we consume our own music, you know, isolated from everyone else, all of these things that we do to isolate ourselves from the reality of, of real world, um, including our labor, including the fruit of the earth, including uh, the fruit of the womb, right? Our own children. What is sterilization and abortion, but alienating ourselves from the consequences of, of sexual activity? At the end of the day, at the end of the day, I think we will find ourselves the aliens and we'll be unhappy. So I want you to read the, I, this is where I wanted to start off our podcast last night, where instead I became the person who apparently hates books and the, and the intellect. How ironic that it was from a book. The <laughs> alphabet introduced a new form of conversation between man and man is now by a commonplace among scholars. To be able to see one's utterances rather than only hear them is no small matter. Though our education once again has little to say about this. No, 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 no. Sorry, go to which go to the picture that says, I think it's the oh, first I one, the wrong one, where it says, "In Mumford's great book, just just read that paragraph there." In Mumford's great book, Technics and Civilization, he shows how, beginning in the 14th century, the clock made us into timekeepers, and then time savers, and now time servers. In the process, we have learned irreverence toward the sun and the seasons. For in a world made up of seconds and minutes, the authority of nature is superseded. Indeed, as Mumford points out, with the invention of the clock, eternity ceased to serve as the measure and focus of human events. And thus, though few would have imagined the connection, the inexorable ticking of the clock may have more to do with the weakening of God's supremacy than all the treatises produced by the philosophers of the Enlightenment. That is to say, the clock introduced a new form of conversation between man and God, in which God appears to have been the loser. Perhaps Moses should have included another commandment, thou shalt not make mechanical representations of time. I think that is so um, fascinating, mm. because it, to me, it gets to the heart of a lot of this, which is like, we don't understand how much the collapse of, of being and being replaced with the, with the nothingness of technate distorts everything. So our understanding of reality is off. Yeah. Because like, particularly like this line where he says, uh, let me find it really quick. In, in the process, we have learned irreverence towards, uh, towards the sun and the seasons for in a world made up of seconds and, and minutes, the like, authority of nature is, I don't have my glasses on, is like superseded. You could easily replace that like with God or just with, or with like church or like these things that like we found that we don't need anymore because we have these other things that have, re- we think they've been replaced and they were replaced before any of us were ever born. Yeah. And so then we like, you, so then you like go to Jordan um, Pearson and you end with Andrew Tate if there's no conversion. Yeah. But like, like, but like, it's it's tough because we have all like so many people 
do not acknowledge this is where like my little bit of like on the silverton hat thing comes yeah. comes in that our entire first our entire first like premise is wrong mm. that you are not the value of you of your of your job you are not what you produce that there can be love and value found in poverty I'm not saying that people should say poor but you know what i mean like yeah that we're supposed to come with that a thing, and that's how we have everything that that we need. And instead, it's let me just let me just get in mind before I can stop and think about that. Hmm. Or it's about what you produce. That's what, like we hail Steve Jobs for being a massive prick because of what he made. It doesn't justify it. The yeah. way he treated people does not justify the sweet, 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 sweet iPhone. It doesn't like it. It doesn't, and he never did. And we hailed him as a king because it doesn't matter. Like you know, and we we do this with so many other, and and also we're way too harsh on like a lot of. I'm a capitalist too, so like I'm not trying to go down that road. But like this, like if we don't understand how the world operates now, has changed, has made it so. Um, if we do not understand how. Techne has impacted us in all of its facets. I just worry that any answer we have ends up just distorted in the end, mm. which is why I think something like, you know, that minute is you is probably very, very unvaluable because perhaps that first on premise isn't off. Yeah. But you'd be amazed the, like, like the amount of people that want to put money towards Catholic programs because they think it's going to solve everything. And I'm like, dude, you're part of the problem. <laughs> like, this attitude is part of the problem. Like, how many coats do you have in your closet? There are saints who would tell you that, like, half of those belong to the poor and you're actually stealing. Have you thought about that? You know, like, because, I, I, I know, I, I, that's... Yeah, I, I mean, that's part of, that's actually what John the Baptist says yeah. to uh, the multitude who come before them. And so they said, that's, that was my gospel reading, which is why I find it so interesting that you said that. That was my gospel reading for today which was you brood of vipers who warned you to flee the coming wrath bear the fruit that befits repentance and the multitudes say what shall we do and he says to the multitudes to those who have two coats give to him who has none and do likewise so with food and then to then the tax collectors come and say what shall we do to take no more than you ask and then the last one is soldiers Roman soldiers and he said Use no violence to extort anyone, nor by false accusation. Be content with your wages. Right? Like, those are powerful things that belong to the Christian tradition. Mm -hmm. Indeed, brother. All right, I got to wrap it up, homie. All right. This is fun. This is good. This is kind of something I like to talk about because it challenges me. Beautiful. You're beautiful. No, thank you, Walgreens. I don't need my Viagra prescription today. I have Gomer. <laughs> <laughs> uh.